All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 17 real quickly. Boy, wasn't, um, wasn't uh, Doyle Dykes wonderful? Man, that, that guy can play the guitar. I love that guy. He can play the guitar. Luke chapter 17. Let's read in verse number 1. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. Then we'll move over later on in some other scriptures for, for the next 20 minutes uh, out of the New Living Translation. But here's the New King James Version. It says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Verse 3, Take heed to yourselves, he says. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he, forget, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, <laughs> increase our faith. In other words, man, you're asking too much. Turn me down just there, would you? They, they said, you're asking too much. We can forgive him one time, but seven times in a day, forgive him? Come on. You've got to increase our faith. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about the subject of forgiveness. And uh, here's something we've learned on Wednesday nights, is that forgiveness is a necessity for a Christian. We don't have a choice as Christians whether to forgive or not. We are commanded by our Heavenly Father to forgive. So we don't have the choice whether we're going to forgive or not. We are commanded to forgive. Now the key for us is to learn how to do it. Okay? We don't have a choice. As Christians, how many of you are Christians? Raise your hand. You've asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Regardless what comes to us, Regardless what comes against us, regardless what happens to us, or who does stuff to us, we are commanded, we don't have a choice. As Christians, as children of the Most High God, we are commanded by the Lord to forgive. We don't have a choice. It's not optional for us on whether we're going to forgive or not. So since it's not optional, and since we don't have a choice, the thing we've got to learn to do is learn how to do it. So tonight, I want to talk to you uh, about what I call the myths, the myths of forgiveness. Myths of forgiveness. Because a lot of people have an uh, uh, inaccurate understanding of what forgiveness is and what it's not. There's some myths that, that are, uh, float around concerning forgiveness. But you know, in this passage, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said it's impossible to live life without offenses coming. You can't insulate yourself or isolate yourself enough so that you will never be offended or that nobody will ever do you wrong. Jesus says it's impossible to live life without offenses coming. Jesus said that. And I'm going to tell you something. When it does happen, it'll take the wind out of your sail especially people that you, who you thought were your friend, your bud, your relative. Now, you understand there's some mean people out there, but they're not kin to us, or we didn't think they were kin to us. And when those people who are close to us 
do us wrong or falsely accuse us or turn against us for whatever reason, it can take the wind out of our sail. But Jesus said it was going to happen, so we shouldn't be surprised. In fact, one of the evidences that we are growing spiritually is getting to the place when it does happen, it doesn't shake our faith. One of the, I I talk to people quite frequently who are no longer in church because somebody did them wrong. And it shook their faith. It just shook them up and they just fell out with God because somebody did them wrong. Yet Jesus said, he told us, it's impossible to live life without offenses coming. So when it happens, one of the evidences of our spiritual maturity is that when it does happen, it shouldn't shake our faith. Because he said it was going to happen. Now, if he'd have said, listen, listen, don't worry about it. I got you back. You'll never be offended. Nobody will ever do you wrong. Nobody will ever falsely accuse you. None of that will happen. And then, then it happened, that would be reason to have your faith shaken. But Jesus said it. He's preparing us. He's letting us know you can't live life. You can't live in this earth, in this world, in this system and go scot-free without somebody messing you up. That's what he said. So he let us know it was going to happen. So one of the evidences of a spiritual mature believer is that when it doesn't happen, it doesn't send us for a loop. Look with me at John chapter 16. Look at John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said this, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to me, that in me you will have peace in the world. Everybody say, in the world. In the world. How many of, where do we live? We live in the world. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, in the world you'll have tribulation. The word tribulation there is literally translated... Um, affliction. In the world, you'll have affliction. It's the word distress. And it literally means, the literal translation means, anything that burdens our spirit. He said, in me you'll have peace, but in the world, and we live in the world, you're going to have things that's going to burden your spirit. And there's nothing more than will burden your spirit, take the wind out of your sail, hurt you, frustrate you, try to depress you like somebody you love or somebody you trusted in doing you wrong. Okay? But Jesus said it was going to happen. He said in the world, that's what will take place. When we have experienced injustice or been treated wrong, it burdens our spirit. And Jesus tells us this is the culture of the world which we live in. Now, grown adults know it's going to happen in our life at one time or the other. We just don't think it's going to happen to us. It always happens to other people. So knowing it's going to happen doesn't, though, lessen the sting of the hurt. So there are two unchanging truths that we always need to remember. Number one, in life, offenses will come. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to do you wrong. Somebody's going to mess up. Somebody's going to falsely accuse you. Somebody's going to steal from you. Somebody's going to ride over you. Somebody's going to take something from you. Somebody's going to say something about you which isn't true. Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to step on you to get above you. In life, whatever it might be, offenses will come. And then the second unchanging truth is this. 
as Christians, we're commanded to forgive. So two things. Offenses are going to come, and we're commanded to forgive. So there are some myths that surround forgiveness. Myth. Myth, myth number one. Myth number one. Forgiveness, here's a myth, forgiveness should be easy for a Christian. That's a myth. Well, you're a Christian. It should be easy to forgive. Fooey. I don't care how much Jesus you get. When somebody does you wrong, it still hurts. Does anybody know that? Does anybody attest to that? Over the years, I've talked with dozens of individuals who were grieving over their feelings of anger, hurt, and revenge because of the way they'd been treated. They'll say things like this, Pastor, I feel terrible that I feel this way. I know I shouldn't, but I don't want to ever see them or talk to them ever again. And they're Christians, and they feel bad about having those feelings. And though we are Christians and have Christ living on the inside of us, it doesn't mean we are immune from the hurt and pain of injustice and betrayal. Let me repeat that. Just because you're a Christian and you love God, might be filled with the Holy Spirit, just because you're full of God and read your Bible every day, 365-day devotion, doesn't mean you and I are immune from the pain and the sting and the hurt when somebody has done us wrong, when someone has betrayed us or done something against us. Do you understand that Jesus experienced the pain of being done wrong and he was the God-man? If Jesus experienced pain of being done wrong and he was the God-man, he was fully God and fully man all at one time. The Bible says that he had the Holy Spirit, the Spirit without measure. We have the Spirit with measure. We only have a measure of it. We only have a portion of it. Ephesians tells us that we have a measure of the Holy Spirit, a, an earnest of the Holy Spirit. You know what an earnest is on a real estate contract. You put down earnest money. It means, uh, it, it, it means I'm going to put down enough here to let you know I'm serious about this. I'm not giving you all of it. I'm just giving you a fraction of it to let you know I'm serious about this contract. Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, we have an earnest of the Spirit. We don't have it all. We just got a portion of it. Jesus had the Spirit, the Bible says in the book of Gospel of John. He had it without measure. He had all of the Holy Spirit. He was, he was all God and all man, yet he, full of the Holy Spirit... Had all of the Holy Spirit, he got hurt when people did him wrong. He experienced the pain. So if Jesus experienced the pain and he had all of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you not realize we're going to feel the pain as well? In fact, let me prove it to you. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Notice what it says. The prophet Isaiah, 740 years before Jesus was ever born. The prophet Isaiah says this. He, Jesus was despised and rejected. Notice he was despised and rejected. And notice the, what it says about him right after his being despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. Notice Jesus was despised and rejected, and he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with the deepest grief. 
when Jesus was rejected, he didn't go around. He, there's no picture of him going around shouting, Hi, hi, it didn't bother me, it didn't bother me. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with the deepest grief. Turn also with me to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 14. Notice what it says here about us. So then, since we have a great high priest, who is our high priest? Jesus, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. Somebody does us wrong, it hurts us, it grieves us, it burdens us, Jesus experienced the same thing. He experienced the exact same thing. Both of these verses assure us that the pain, the heartbreak, the extreme disappointment which we feel when injustice occurs to us, Jesus also experienced those same feelings. Here's what I've learned. The feelings that you experience are the result of being human. The ability to respond in love instead of giving in to those feelings is the result of being redeemed. Okay? Just because you feel hurt, just because you feel pain when somebody does you wrong, just because you might have feelings of, of revenge toward them, just because someone does you wrong, doesn't mean you're not saved. Those feelings are the result of being human. The ability to respond in love is the result of being redeemed. Everybody with me? The mature Christian will respond in love. We must learn, we must learn to separate our hurt feelings from the person who injured us. If you're going to get over offense or rejection, or betrayal, or, or being done wrong, if you're going to get over it quickly, we must learn to separate our hurt feelings from the person who injured us. Why? Because the person who injured us can't heal us. But Jesus can. If somebody, if Bubba did me wrong... If I'm going to walk in the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord, if I'm going to walk without having my life cluttered with unforgiveness, I've got to eventually be able to separate Bubba from my hurt feelings. Why? Because Bubba can't heal my hurt feelings. But Jesus can heal my hurt feelings. Everybody listening to what I'm saying? See, when somebody hurts us, we want them to fix it. They can't fix it. The truth of the matter is, when they hurt us, they can't unhurt us. But Jesus can heal us. So we've got to be able to separate the person who offended us from our feelings. Our human nature demands the person who hurt us to unhurt us, and they don't have that ability. If Bubba hurts me, he doesn't have the ability to unhurt me. Because he said it. It's already said. He can't take it back. If he did it, he's already done it. He can't go back and 
say it didn't happen. It happened. Our human nature demands the person who hurt us to unhurt us, and they don't have that ability. They can apologize, but the hurt, the sting, and distrust normally remains. So we must learn to surrender our hurt feelings. We must surrender our hurt feelings to the comforter. And that releases us to forgive the perpetrator who injured us. If, um, if, she, if, if she hurt me, if she hurt me, I've got to one day be able to, to move on in life and without ever, out, ever, every time I see her then have to replay that pain all over again. I've got to be able to remove her and my feelings. They, they can't go together. I've got to surrender my hurt feelings to the comforter. I can't expect her to heal me. She can't unhurt me. Does everybody understand? See, some of you have been done wrong. You've had a husband to betray you or a wife to betray you or a family member's taken something from you and you're expecting them to make it right. They can't make it right. They can't unhurt you. What they did, they did. And every time you see them now, those feelings of that hurt surround you and you relive it over again and to the point now you don't even want to be around them because every time you talk to them, every time you see them, all those feelings start to consume you and you start replaying it all over again and all the pain. We've eventually got to learn to separate that person from our feelings and surrender our feelings to the comforter. Lord, they hurt me. I can't fix that, and they can't fix it. They can't undo what they did, but you can heal me. And let the comforter heal that hurt, and then in turn, that will release you to forgive that person. But as long as that pain swells up and overcomes you every time you see them, you'll never be able to forgive the person. You'll never be able to. We've got to be able to surrender our hurt feelings. Lord, I was done wrong. That's immaterial. It's my hurt feelings. I surrender. You're the comforter. You said in me you'll have peace. So, Lord, I need the peace from these hurt feelings. And he start, as he starts to heal that pain in your life from that injury, then you will be able to forgive that person. Because now, all of a sudden, you're healed up from the pain, and every time you see them, you don't have to relive the incident all over again. Well, I can see uh, you're excited about this. But it's the truth. Number two, myth number two, forgiveness is optional. That's a myth. That's a myth. That's not true. That's not accurate. This is a myth that has long-lasting consequences. I've worked with couples who have experienced betrayal in their relationship. And the partner who was betrayed will say, I don't know if I can forgive my spouse, but in time I'll get over it. Pastor, I don't know if I'll forgive them, but in time I'll get over it. I don't know if I can forgive them, but in time I'll get over it. First of all, let's remember our biblical mandate as Christians. It's not optional. Forgiveness is not optional. That's a myth that it's optional. It is not optional. Ephesians 4.22 Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. God chose you to be the holy people He loved. You must clothe yourselves with tender 
a heart in mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Notice, it's not optional. That's a myth that forgiveness is optional. Mark eleven twenty five. But when you are praying, first, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins also. For the Christians, forgiveness is not optional. So we must learn how to forgive. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me show you this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says something very interesting. He says, work at living in peace. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now you could, you could go for years on that. Especially in our culture. Verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. This, this just happened. Uh, one of my friends uh, was taken to the hospital uh, due to severe pain and nausea. Um, and when they got him into the ER and evaluated him, the doctor remarked that he had the classic symptoms of appendicitis. And uh, uh, to which my friend replied, Well, it can't be my appendix because I had my appendix removed several years ago. And that puzzled the medical staff. So they did all the tests. And when the test results came back, it was discovered that the surgeon who had previously removed my friend's appendix had not gotten it all. A stump, a sliver of the appendix had been tucked under another organ and the surgeon didn't get it all and he missed it and that little piece of appendix years later which was left finally became inflamed and caused my friend terrible pain so they had to do another surgery to get that little portion of the appendix taken out. The tip of that appendix served as an irritant which eventually affected his whole body and put him back in the hospital. Likewise, unforgiveness can remain dormant for a period, but unless it is removed completely, it will eventually spring up and bring corruption into your life. So forgiveness is not optional. You can't just get over it. You've got to forgive. The key is how do you do it? Myth number three. Here's myth number three. Forgiveness requires reconciliation. Well, if you really give, you'll be my buddy again. That's a myth. That's a myth. That's not correct. That's not accurate. God calls us to forgive those who hurt us, but settling our differences or restoring a friendship to its original friend friendly condition isn't always possible. Do you hear me? Let me repeat that.
God calls us to forgive those who hurt us, but settling our differences or restoring a friendship to its original friendly condition isn't always possible. You say, why, Pastor? Because a conflict generally doesn't involve only us. Another person is normally a part of the equation, and their actions and choices can't be controlled by what we want to see them do. Well, if he does that, if he does this, I'll, I'll uh, forgive him. No, it doesn't have anything to do with what he does. Forgiveness, you forgiving him has everything to do with what Jesus did for you and what you decide to do, regardless of what he does. Some things can't be undone, and that's okay. We just learn to forgive and move on. I have some people in my life, over 40, almost 40 years of ministry now, some people that have done, done my family wrong. I forgive them. Forgive them. We don't talk about it in my family. We forgive them when I see them. We're kind, but we're not buds anymore. Things, it, 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 that relationship was severed and injured, and it can't be. Do, do I forgive them? Of course I forgive them. I don't even think about it anymore. But they've gone on, and we've gone on. And that's okay. It's a myth to think that reconciliation has to take place. Sometimes it doesn't take place. A person who's betrayed you in your marriage, and they go and get married to somebody else. You can forgive them, but it doesn't mean you're going to get married to them again, especially if they're already married. doesn't mean you're going to be reconciled to the way the relationship was. And that's okay. Because it's a myth to think reconciliation must take place before forgiveness must take place. Number four, here's a myth. Forgiveness requires an apology. I hear this all the time. If they would just ask for forgiveness, I will gladly forgive them. Listen, you've got to forgive them whether they ask for it or not. Why? Because it's not optional. See, if, if you're waiting for them to apologize before you forgive them, then your forgiveness is optional upon what they do. And our forgiveness can never be optional. It's a commandment of the Lord, regardless of what they do. Or if they would just apologize and say they were sorry, I would forgive them. But that's not what grace is all about. God's grace was extended to us before we asked for forgiveness. Did you know that? Romans, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Notice, when did Jesus die for us and extend grace to us? While we were sinners. Not after we decided to be good. It's when we were bad. We can forgive those who don't apologize, because we recognize what is sufficient for us is not the correct behavior of someone else, but the grace God gives us. If you don't hear anything else, I say, hear that. We can forgive those who don't apologize, 
because we recognize that what is sufficient for us is not their correct behavior, not them telling me they're sorry, not them paying me back, not them doing good things for me after what the bad things they've done. That's not sufficient. It's their correct behavior. It's not their correct behavior that is sufficient. It's the grace of God that is sufficient. God forgave me when I was pitiful. And that since I've been forgiven when I was pitiful, I can forgive others when they're pitiful. Well, I can see you're excited about that. I tell you what, I'm gotta to go to another church to preach this. Look what it says in Ephesians four thirty two. Be kind to each other, tender hearted, forgiving one another, forgiving one another. How? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Why do I forgive people? Why do I walk in love for people? Not because they made it right. They, they hurt me, they can't unhurt me. I forgive them because Jesus forgave me. He forgave me, and I let him heal my hurts. When we extend forgiveness in our heart, whether or not someone asks for it, we gain focus, new clarity, new insight, new hope, and new purpose. Myth number five. got to close. Forgiveness doesn't cost you anything. Well, just forgive them. It ain't going to cost you nothing. Listen, forgiveness costs you everything. That's a myth. Forgiving a spouse for emotional or physical betrayal costs you something. Forgiving a parent for physical or emotional abuse costs you something. Forgiving a co-worker who unjustly or falsely accused you of something, that costs you something. What does it cost you? Number one, it first costs you your claim for justice. See, when you forgive somebody, you don't have any claim on retribution. You've got to give it up. Forgiveness means I release you from what your injury took from me, and you don't have to pay me back. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. This is what this scripture is talking about. You've heard the law that says punishment must match the injury. You know, I forgive you. You took me from me. I'm going to take from you the equal value. Jesus said, you've heard that law, that the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is literally saying here, when you forgive, you release. It's going to cost you your claim for justice. You're not going to get even. You can't get even. That can't be your goal and desire, and then everything will be great. You've got to give that up. So it does cost you something to forgive. What's the next thing uh, forgiveness costs you? Forgiveness costs you part of yourself. Forgiveness means I, I give up my need to be right. Like a soldier who falls on a live grenade for his fellow troops, absorbing the impact of the blast so they don't have to absorb it. We absorb what's been done. We fold ourselves over the wrong and we cover over the hurt. You give up yourself. It costs you. It might cost you your reputation. It costs you your ego. 
It costs you your ability to pay back. It costs you something to walk in forgiveness. I like what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, forgiveness is not pretending that it didn't happen or it didn't hurt. That's called lying. Forgiveness is a decision to release a debt regardless of how you feel. Let me, let me close with this and, and go back and, and revisit that thing that I shared with you earlier, that you have to learn to separate the person from their sin. If you're really going to walk in forgiveness, if you're really going to get over what somebody did to you, if you're really going to be able to get past that spouse who went out on you, if you're really going to be able to get past that brother who took things in the inheritance that didn't belong to him, if you're going to really be able to get past that fellow worker, that peer, if you're going to be able to forgive them and get past that and walk in joy again, especially after they lied about you to the boss and you got overlooked on the promotion and they got it, if you're going to be able to get past that and walk in joy and peace and enjoy the blessings of the Lord, you've got to be able to separate the person from their sin. If you don't, it's going to eat you up. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing, that word imputing is an accounting term, not accounting, not counting up our trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's exactly what Jesus did. He, he, he's able to love us even though we were rascals. We were everything that Jesus wasn't. He, was, he is holy, we were unholy. But he's able to love us and embrace us, and care for us when we were everything that he wasn't because he separated us from our sin. He didn't impute it to us. He didn't hold it against us. Psalm says it this way. The book of Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He has separated what we did to him or against him from us. Notice it doesn't say he removed it as far as the north is from the south. He said the east is from the west. Why? Because there's a north pole and there's a south pole. There's a geographical point on the globe that's north. He's been to the South Pole. He knows you take one step past the point on the South Pole, you head north. There are lines, there are boundaries north and south. He didn't say, I separated your sins as far as the north from the south. He said, I separated your sins as far as the east is from the west because there is no boundaries east and west. You start east and you never get there. In other words, Jesus has separated our sins from us to a place that only he knows, infinity. As the toy story, infinity and beyond. One more verse of scripture. One of my 
favorite verses of Scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Notice what it says. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And over the years I've read this verse and taught it, even taught it, that his wrong is not as bad as your wrong. His wrong's not as bad as your wrong. That that we can't deal with his wrong until we deal with our wrong. He's got a speck in his eye, and you've got a log in your eye. So you or your wrong is badder than his wrong, so you don't need to be messing with him because you got a bad bad. He just got a bad. But that's not really what the Scripture is saying. The Spirit is saying here, the splinter in his eye has become the log in my eye. The Lord is not talking about cleaning your own house before you clean someone else's house. That's not what he's talking about. Unforgiveness causes us to forget that others are people with problem splinters. Unforgiveness causes us to forget that others are people with problem splinters. Instead, in our eyes, the person becomes the log. He says, he say, see, he's not saying, don't worry about him because he's just got a little sin, you've got a big sin. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, you need to stop judging him because really what's happening, he has become your log. You can't separate his sin from him. He's the log in your eye. He's the log in your eye. The person has become the log because you have unforgiveness in your heart. And you've got to get rid of You've got to get your eyes off of him and get your eyes on forgiveness. And when you get your eyes on forgiveness, all of a sudden, he's not as bad as you think he is. Separate the person from their failure. Separate the person from their injustice. Separate the person from what they did to you. And when you do that, all of a sudden what they did is not a log. It's just a splinter. Stand with me, would you?